Sam's educating you today, but here's my short take. Isekai is everything your parents thought anime was. Hey, this is Sam, and it's Weeaboo Purgatory. Uh, this episode has been a long time coming and months in the making. Given the anime industry's recent trend towards gachapon animations, it's looking like it could be more of an early retrospective than, you know, like an honest-to-god, perfectly-time-hatchet job. Uh, but I could be wrong. I often am. If there were ever a dead horse, it'd be my thoughts about isekai as a genre. Uh, specifically, isekai as the preeminent genre in popular anime for the number of years that it's been as such. Uh, I will bring up, apropos of nothing, my disdain for the trend, and I have to imagine it's alienated more than one listener. Part of me wants to think, good, and leave it there. Why be associated with anime infidels and idolatrists? These are the types who tease the adolescent part of me that's still just a little bit embarrassed about being a weeb. In 2007, right, we had the kid who wore the Naruto headband to school. In 2020, it's the adult who lives vicariously through an adult living vicariously through a Dragon Quest trash mob. Yeah, I guess he was technically reincarnated, but let's maybe cut through the bullshit here, shall we? I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste yours. That's the antagonistic part of me, the loud dude with opinions. I am aware that in today's world, most of the folks I would like to associate with and, you know, who I'd like to listen to this are pretty sick of that archetype. So let's go to the part of me that wants to find common ground. He's a better conversationalist anyway. I don't want my distaste for the isekai genre to alienate anyone, uh, nor do I want to just seem like a counterculture fetishizing iconoclast for its own sake. I mean, those types bore me. I want to maybe reach an understanding. So before I get started in earnest, my intention is not to say, if you like isekai, then fuck you. If I did that, then you wouldn't want to listen to a word I say, and it'd be hard to blame you. Uh, nor is it my intention to awaken you to the truth, man. This isn't Infowars. I'm not going to insult your intelligence by claiming you've been tricked into liking a thing. If you like it, then like it. Honestly, you're having more fun than me anyway, so in a way, you win. My goal here is more to outline isekai as a genre and trend, look at its history, its reign as the dominant trend in anime for nearly a decade now, and why I think that, once dissected, it does not end up having much intrinsic value. Alright, so let's dig in. We'll start at the beginning. What is Isekai? In abstract, it is a very specific plot structure that has been copied and pasted into so many different light novels and anime as to now count as a genre. It is characterized by having a human protagonist, usually fairly nondescript and almost always male, though there are exceptions. Uh, this protagonist, at first, exists in the real world. Often the life they lead leaves something to be desired. It's common for an isekai protagonist to have been a neat, a wage slave, or a salaryman, but this is not always the case. Some event will conspire to transplant the protagonist from the real world into a new world. The circumstances behind this can take one of a couple forms. Either this new world is some kind of impossibly immersive VR landscape, or it is literally an alternate universe that the protagonist is transported to via mystical means. They can either be summoned there, or they can literally die in the real world and be reborn in this new one. The nature of this world can change, but it's almost always a fairly generic Western fantasy world. It will typically have a system of in-universe rules and mechanics that function identically to the non-diegetic mechanics one would find in a role-playing video game. For example, the protagonist, and often only the protagonist, is subject to a level-up system and must select which skills or spells they acquire at various junctures, and so on. 
In many cases, an internal force present in the story's universe, uh, it can be a god or a king, they tend to be the most common things to fill this role, will in no uncertain terms designate that the protagonist is indeed the protagonist and must fulfill some prescribed task. Uh, this usually involves the subversion of an existential threat to this new world, a prophesized apocalyptic event, a dark king and his armies, things of that sort. This tends to be more common in isekai stories that are specifically, you know, the protagonist has been summoned to another world or reborn into that world. Slightly less so the ones where it's the impossibly immersive VR, although this does tend to happen. To help with this task, the protagonist is granted some sort of special quality or another. A powerful artifact or a unique magical ability are common. This aspect is sometimes omitted in favor of the protagonist being special in some way to begin with. Uh, they are a genius tactician, for instance. If this be the case, expect some mention to be made of them having been Japan's top-rated player of some video game or another. Finally, and rarely with exception, the protagonist soon finds himself surrounded by a supporting cast of impossibly beautiful women, most or all of whom are sexually interested in him. I'm adding an assumed gender about now, because nine times out of ten, this is how it plays out. Uh, occasionally, you will get an isekai starring a female protagonist, but even then, she will still be surrounded by a supporting cast of impossibly beautiful women who are now just ambiguously sexually interested in her. Isekai is written for guys. The story in this case should not be confused for a true or at least good piece of queer fiction. The male gaze is still in full effect, and the assumed gender and sexual preference of the viewer is still assumed to be male and heterosexual. And just to cover my ass a little bit here, I'm not talking about who's actually watching this, I'm talking about who it's so obviously implicitly to the point of being explicitly for. To date, ad lib, it's now July, late July 2020, uh, some stuff happened. I have seen one, maybe two isekai with the true reversal of this trope in which the protagonist is female and her supporting cast are all impossibly beautiful men, yada, yada, yada. I do not count this as progress so much as chaos theory in effect, but my bias has already been noted. So that is isekai. You get one or two little twists on the formula here and there, but without exception, they will hew very close to the outline I just gave you. I tried to be as objective as possible in my description, but there were times at which I couldn't help but be snippy. Forgive me. Or don't, I'm not a cop. Now, a very abridged history of the genre. Uh, the obvious starting point here is Reki Kawahara's monstrously popular and influential Sword Art Online, because the history of Sword Art Online is the history of Isekai. Uh, it's an extremely derivative genre. Uh, first self-published as a web novel, ASCI... I... Media Works discovered Kawahara's work and gave him a book deal. Publishing Sword Art Online as a light novel beginning in 2009, with an anime adaptation beginning in 2012. It began spawning imitators almost immediately. Knights in Magic and Overlord, starting in 2010. Rising of the Shield Hero, uh, No Game No Life, ReZero, and Konosuba, starting in 2012. Uh, that time I got reincarnated as a slime, starting in 2013, and dozens more up to present. It is worth noting that nearly all of these series began as self-published web novels, which may have something to do with why this whole formula has more in common with self-insert fanfiction than anything else. This isn't a knock against fanfiction. Uh, I think it's a useful tool for young writers to develop their prose, find their voice, but that is all it is. It's a tool. You don't bike the Tour de France using training wheels. 
There were previous forays into what can be called proto-isekai before this. Uh, .hack, Digimon, El Hazard, and the familiar of Zero all come to mind. There's always been kind of this trapped in another world genre, and since the 90s, anime has loved the exploration of cyberspace and VR as a setting. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this. I love Summer Wars as much as I loved now and then here and there. Uh, but I count Sword Art Online as the genre's starting point because it was with Sword Art Online that the genre's previously described formula really calcified and its mission as a genre took form. Let's talk about that mission, because it is at the core of what Isekai is as a genre, indeed as a movement. In brief, Isekai is a power fantasy. On this, both fan and detractor can usually agree. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with a power fantasy. One of the main goals of fiction and art in general is to provide catharsis, and projecting oneself onto a powerful, sexually desirable, and generically attractive protagonist is a very efficient way of getting the job done. Hell, that's basically the entire superhero genre right there, and I love that shit. Endgame made me cry. Fractions Hawkeye is my favorite graphic novel of all time. So where, then, is Isekai's failing as a power fantasy? On a word... It's just not a very good one. This is really a more complicated question than that, uh, with a number of answers, and I'm going to try and touch on all of them. What I'll do is go down the list real quick and then elaborate. Isekai is a thin power fantasy. It's a lazy power fantasy. It's a hollow power fantasy. It's a derivative power fantasy. And worst of all, it's a cynical power fantasy. You occasionally find a work of Isekai that manages to avoid being one of these, but none of them have avoided being all of them. All these aspects overlap just a little bit as well. Uh, I'll try to avoid repeating myself too much. Isekai is a thin power fantasy in that it in nearly all cases barely makes the attempt to characterize the protagonist as anything short of a mannequin stand-in for the assumed-to-be male, disaffected viewer. It does this in two ways, one of which is endemic to mediocre anime and the other which is unique to Isekai. Okay, so to elaborate on the former. Kindness. Bravery. Determination desirability, maleness, heterosexuality. You can use these six terms, and usually only these six terms, with the occasional addition of horniness to the list, to describe not just every isekai protagonist, but the protagonists of countless other anime and manga series that the otaku world has picked up, flipped through, and forgotten about just as quickly. If ever I'm talking to a detractor of not just isekai, but of weeb media in general, uh, this is almost one of the first things about the movement. I call weeb media a movement, it's bigger than a genre, but smaller than a medium, uh, that they point to as an indicator of its apparent lack of any real value. And you know what? It's really fucking hard to pose a counterpoint to this that doesn't tread into whataboutism. I I mean, I'm looking at you, buzz-cutted, lightly stubbled, kind of handsome, irretrievably hetero video game shooter protagonist guy. Protagonists this thin, at best, cannot contribute any points towards the series' final grade, and at worst are such insultingly obvious and robotic proxies that they do just the opposite of what they're intended to do and spoil any potential engagement one might have had with the series. It's difficult to project myself onto a piece of toast, and it's annoying that I'm expected to do so, especially if said piece of toast has six scientifically engineered waifus hanging off of it like Frazetta women. Unique to Isekai is the set of circumstances through which the protagonist finds himself pulled into the story, in that he is, and I'm just going to stick with he from now on because, you know, come on, literally pulled into the world of the story from what is supposed to be our world. Now, maybe this is just a me thing because 
Nothing turns me off to a work faster than the impression that it's trying to sell me something. It's why I find gratuitous panty shots so grating. And the way that all isekais begin with their, Hey, you, this is you, you're a big powerful man now with a magical sword and an even more magical dick. Do you understand yet that this is you? Are as thin a ploy to try and sell me this otherwise generic-ass high fantasy story as any blue and white striped pants who are annoyingly Sakuga tit jiggle. I once argued that any isekai would be vastly improved by the removal of its first episode. I've evolved my thinking a little bit. It'd go from insultingly thin and boring to just thin and boring. Isekai is a lazy power fantasy for what are essentially the same reasons as a thin one, but with different motivations behind them. I've actually already detailed why isekai is so lazy, and I, uh, I did it back when I described the genre's basic formula. They're all just that. Formula. Isekai isn't really written, per se. You just uh, fill in the minor variations as though you were filling your, out your taxes and crakunk. The machine spits out your isekai like so many gumballs. This one's red. The next one is blue. They will all taste the same and lose their flavor within 10 minutes. I've gotten into more than one disagreement about the definition of art. Mostly when I was in college, we all kind of stopped giving that much of a shit once we all had bills to pay. One question that always came up was whether the level of skill or effort present in a work had anything to do with whether it counted as art, whether it counted as good art, and if it had any worth as art. Uh, consider the avant-garde artist who hangs a snow shovel from the ceiling. Infuriating, how did the idiot sell this for 50 grand? This is a seductive line of thought, I will admit, but it's kind of a slippery slope once you start drawing lines like this. You get caught up in all the if-then statements, and quickly it becomes clear that what you think counts as art is anything you think counts as art. This is why people go into STEM. But, even considering all that as a factor, there is something undeniably automotive about watching the same isekai built from the same parts find its way to the top of the charts every season. Its author and the anime industry have so quantified what they can get the most viewership and merch sales for, for the smallest amount of actual input, that it feels like I'm watching the imitation game. Isekai isn't written. It's produced. This accusation is leveled against Hollywood specifically, and like the Marvel flicks a whole bunch, and whatever merit it has there counts for double or triple here. That Isekai is a hollow power fantasy is somewhat of a hard sell. I could go on all day about how the genre to me seems like more of a facsimile of fiction than actual fiction, and no game, no life, still theoretically could have dug you out of a suicidal depression. I mean, I doubt it, but it could have. Still, the same could be said of literally any piece of media, no matter how good or bad it is, and it's still not an effective argument in favor of the work's quality. I'm sure Jack and Jill served as the backdrop to some guy's fight against benzo addiction. It still fucking sucks. Sometimes on this show, we'll talk about fight scenes in anime. And when we do, it's usually a good bet that I'm going to talk about whether or not the action felt like it had any weight. The action's weight, the quality of the choreography, and the fight's ability to tell a little story are the three criteria by which I judge a fight scene. An okay fight scene has one of these things, a pretty good one has two, and all the great ones have all three. What I'm referring to with weight is the believable physical impact that a fight scene has. Violence, wouldn't you know, is painful, exhausting, and messy. Any time a fight is shown to be as such, it provides flavor and especially context. It grounds the scene a little and gives you a tiny but important opportunity to empathize with the combatants. But one of the things I like most about Iron-Blooded Orphans, especially towards the end, was how much weight and impact they had to their fights. On the other side of the spectrum, you have all the fights that go, you know, just people like clashing swords that go like ting 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 and it's boring, it's weightless. 
Anyway, you've probably guessed by now that I'm building towards a metaphor. The point I'm trying to make is that all drama, tension, and danger that takes place in an isekai feels just as weightless as the ting 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 I was talking about, and this is because almost all the exhaustive pains that are taken to assure me that A, this isn't real, B, it's fake, important distinction, and C, the outcome is not even halfway in question. Okay, so A, it's not real. By its very definition, Isekai seeks to engage me in the fantasy that I am playing and winning a video game. The issue here is that I'm not. I'm watching an anime. Were I actually playing a video game, yeah, it'd be much easier for me to ignore the fact that what's happening on screen isn't actually happening. But since I'm not, there is a fundamental disconnect between the action present on the screen trying to convince me that I'm kicking all this ass, and me sitting on the couch watching a bland Gary Stew kick all this ass. I'm not playing a video game. I'm watching someone else play a video game. And yeah, I know Twitch and streaming and Let's Plays and PewDiePie are a thing, and they're annoying. Call me an angry boomer. I don't give a shit. B. It's fake. Distinct from it not being real. This is much more of a personal thing and uh, a little bit more of a nitpick, but ever-present in Isekai are diegetic game mechanics. This is Naofumi's shield having a little upgrade tree, or each of the races of fairies in Alfheim having a different racial ability a la Wheel of the Forsaken. Uh, a proponent of the inclusion of these mechanics in a non-interactive medium would perhaps use the term inventive. I prefer immersion-breaking for reasons that feed into everything I described about A. Simply put, game mechanics, especially those in RPGs and MMOs, are non-diegetic in a way that's meant to make the game work and not take you too far out of it. Uh, the idea of a level system, for starters. This system of player stats like strength, dexterity, stamina, and intelligence. The idea that a pair of boots that a giant scorpion dropped could better protect you from harm than the ones that a skeleton dropped 10 levels ago, even if they are both to be described as being made from the same material. All of these elements exist because they have to. They are the breaks from reality that the game has to take in order to be playable. Isekai does not have to take such breaks because, again, it's not an interactive medium. When a universe includes diegetic video game elements in an effort to make you feel like you're winning at a video game, it does so at the cost of your suspension of disbelief, which, in fantasy, and nearly all of these isekai are fantasy, is an extremely valuable element. Again, it does not make me feel like I'm winning a video game. It makes me feel like the dipshit I used to hang out with in high school is, and he's making me watch. Worth noting is that beyond breaking immersion, the inclusion of diegetic video game elements also serves to neuter the power fantasy. Think about it. Once you're done convincing the viewer that all of this is basically a video game, then whatever power you're trying to get them to fantasize about is rendered inert. Isekai thus fails of what it sets out to do in the first place. I think the most it can achieve is giving you the aforementioned fantasy that you're good at a video game. This is actually the very first misgiving I had about Isekai. At first, I didn't even know what was bothering me about it, and having to think it through is what led me to the conclusions I've been sharing with you. Finally, C. The outcome is not even halfway in question. In fairness, I'm begging the question a little bit here. In Isekai, there is no drama because of course he's going to win because it's Isekai. Now, I could just point to the scoreboard. Look at every Isekai ever and tell me things ever turn out differently. Konosuba, you say? Eh, kinda. It's a jerk show parody of Isekai, not coincidentally the only entry in the genre I've ever enjoyed. I'd still trade it in a heartbeat for the retroactive erasure of said genre. ReZero. Yeah, he can die as many times as he wants, he still comes back every time, and it's just another non-diegetic video game mechanic that you've built into the thing. Yeah, it's a neat trick, but I enjoy watching someone play Dark Souls only marginally more than I enjoy watching them play Dragon Quest. Those are two partial credit exceptions amongst dozens. But I don't even need to point to the scorecard. I can just, again, go back to Isekai's mission, to make you feel like you're winning a video game. The protagonist, or let's be real here, you, 
You're, you're just not going to lose. You're too important, special, powerful, desirable. Perish the thought that you could lose. All of these factors add up to the genre being dramatically hollow. It barely seems worth mentioning that Isekai is a derivative power fantasy. It's a genre whose almost every entry can be described as like SAO, but... The most innovative thing I've seen within the context of the Isekai formula was when Naofumi was kind of a dick. That was the bar right there. People lost their fucking minds. Maybe it's worth getting into Sword Art Online a little bit here. Uh, a little bit more. Denard mentioned in our bottom five episode that his dislike for the series did not come from how it affected the decade going forward, but how it sat in the mud of the two decades past, with nary a desire to even get up, let alone clean itself off. I want to expand on that because it's a good point. Simply put, Kawahara basically DJed together all the most boring, played-out tropes present in anime at the time and turned them into a genre that was boring and played out the second it arrived. To wit, it takes place in the same bland fantasy setting that bland fantasy anime has languished in since Slayers. You know, green hills, town guards, roving adventures, blah, blah. It only works in D&D for reasons I previously described, so don't go there. Uh, there's Kirito, who is both as boring and drama-killingly powerful as the protagonist of every other generic shonen you forgot you watched. You can feel the subtle, carcinogenic presence of the harem genre present in a lot of this show. I would call harem anime just as much of a precursor to Isekai as Dot Hack and El Hazard were. Asuna is less a person than just the uh, TV Tropes article for satellite love interest, except cut with as much flour to keep her from accidentally becoming interesting. I think that bit early on when Kirito goes on a quest with a small guild and they all die is supposed to evoke the Band of the Hawk and their fate, but Reki Kawahara is no Kintaro Miura, and there's nothing tragic or horrifying about any of it. Yui is the same creepy, tiresome lowly bait that's eternally fucking present in Shonen. Creepy because she's obviously there as a gift to a certain demographic. Tiresome because, hey bro, you're the one who brought up Loli, not me. I just want to protect her, whatever the fuck that means. I think you must be projecting. What do you mean I'm insulting your intelligence? Oh, don't forget the effeminate yet also rapey big bad guy that's uh, been peeking its head up in anime for decades now. You could discredit all of SAO with that guy's presence alone. The list goes on. My point is that Kawahara did not use imperfect tools to build something greater than the sum of its parts. He used them to build Sword Art Online. I was trying to think of a metaphor there, but nothing short of overused scatological humor was really doing the trick, so I just sort out online. One of the things I love about anime is that it's so chock full of inventive and ambitious premises. Uh, these stories will have these crazy out there elevator pitches that you see basically nowhere else in media. Uh, no, they don't always deliver on them, but that's kind of a given with anything. So it really upsets me when one of the biggest anime of its day is so immensely uninventive on nearly every level and goes on to inspire a generation of uninventive imitators. I don't want to get caught up railing against how people just consume these same shows six times a season. Uh, that's not the purpose of all this. Like, I'm after Isekai, not the people who watch it. But it does frustrate me that the genre remains so popular despite how intrinsically stagnant it is. I'm aware of exceptions. To name one, I think Ascendance of a Bookworm is the only Isekai I've seen that tries to do something halfway interesting with the formula, even to the point of using all the Isekai tropes in a way that make the story feel like an actual struggle rather than a power fantasy. Points for that, but it is an exception instead of the rule, and I did not find it interesting enough to redeem the entire genre. What problems it had were, to its credit I suppose, Things not necessarily unique to Isekai. Kind of bland dialogue, pedestrian directing, generic world building, character designs. Oh, and try as they might to convince me otherwise, I don't buy for a fucking second that she's in any real danger of succumbing to her illness. That would mean that we failed to protect her. They don't have the fucking guts. 
This brings me to my next point, which is how safe Isekai is. You might argue that it is in fact comfy, but I'm going to draw a hard line between the two right now. Comfy is a show that provides its catharsis in a manner that is non-stressful. This is actually extremely hard to accomplish. It involves balancing the interest curve in such a way that the viewer is always interested but never distressed. It's why you could describe both Steven Universe and Hercule Poirot as such, despite how different they both are in tone and premise. Safe is a show that takes no risks. This is an immensely easy thing to do. All you have to do is figure out what has historically sold and then do that. Isekai has been safe since Reki Kawahara invented it for all the reasons I previously described. Are you still with me? We're almost done. There's one aspect still left to cover, and that's Isekai's greatest sin. It's cynicism. Uh, to clarify, when I say cynicism, I'm not really talking about whether a given story has a cynical internal outlook versus an optimistic one. What I mean to say is that it has a cynical outlook towards the potential viewership and constructs an ethos around these assumptions that colors the content of the show. Like, Black Lagoon is cynical in that it purports people are only as good as their world and circumstances require them to be, whereas the live-action Full Metal Alchemist movie is cynical because it exists to make a cheap buck off of brand recognition. The proverbial fuck you, you'll buy it ethos. This all ties back into what I was talking about with the show being safe. But Isekai being safe is really only the beginning of why it's so cynical. Harem anime was safe. Hell, even Mecha was at one point. I do not begrudge the ebb and flow of trends in media, but I'm not so naive as to think they are arbitrary. I had originally written this whole thing about Japan's declining birth rate, the emergence of the herbivore men demographic that correlates with it, and the shitty decade that we've just had, but this is already running longer than I planned, so I'm just going to trust that my thesis will make sense with the limited context I've just given you. Plus, Two out of three of those are things that I do not even begin to understand, and I do not feel qualified to talk about without a degree or two. Everything I've already said about Isekai merely annoys me, because it is, for the most part, just an annoying genre. For the most part. Uh, there is what I'll call a dual aspect of Isekai with which I take actual issue. It's that Isekai fetishizes despair, depression, and the denial of reality, and it seeks to commodify these things. Not even seeks to, it has. Let's tackle that first bit. I'm not going so far as to say that Isekai is secretly encouraging depressed teenagers to take their own lives, but I also reject the idea that it's innocent escapism. To me, its message is, it is not only acceptable, but heroic to reject the reality that has, it assumes, rejected you. I'm aware of how insane this world is and the need for an escape from it now and again. Even if it weren't this insane, we'd still need one. That's half the reason that fiction is even there. But when a piece of fiction tries to fetishize some of the worst coping mechanisms of severe depression, the withdrawal from society and the rejection of other human beings, that's when it no longer gets a pass. I shouldn't even have to mention my own struggles with such demons to illustrate what a shitty cynical message this is. And yes, I'm aware that societies and supporting castes exist within isekai worlds, but we've already gone into how these worlds are made to feel as not real as possible, even if they are referred to in universe as just another world. It's a bit more of a stretch, but I thought I'd also mention that another piece of isekai's implicit ideology, that your best self cannot exist outside of the contracts of your favorite video game because the real world sucks, they don't get you out there, especially not 3D women, is at best self-insert fanfiction-y drivel, and at worst is a potential step on the path to the red pill. No, I don't think that Isekai is MRA recruitment propaganda, but there's something real fucking creepy about it to me. I sort of pictured some Mephistophelian voice whispering to an understandably lonely otaku late at night with promises just like, what if there were a world where all the beautiful women offered themselves up to you just for being there? 
the second half of my point that isekai commodifies the same self-destructive uh, behaviors that it fetishizes is uh, made self-evident when you realize that it's not Mephistopheles whispering these promises. It's the anime industry. Not because they want your soul, but because they have to fulfill the promise they made to their sponsors to sell ad space and merch. Every anime has to do this. Fuck, man. Practically every piece of media has to do this in general. I'm not going to decry the authors of isekai light novels for plying their trade within a system they didn't create, nor am I going to go all surprise it was capitalism's fault at the end. I don't necessarily disagree, but I'm looking for more nuance than that. Maybe it's me. Like I mentioned, I have a natural aversion to shit that gives me the feeling like I'm being sold something, and nothing feels more like an ever-so-slightly inaccurately targeted ad in that regard than isekai. Like I mentioned, I've struggled with depression, social anxiety, I have a general negative outlook on the world at large and many of the people in it. I wish there could be a better world. All of this is what, in theory, makes me the perfect target audience for isekai. Which is why it all feels so fucking skeevy to me. This is how they make their sale, by identifying these qualities in a mark and commodifying it, by marketing the genre to depressed, disaffected, lonely men who feel they've been left behind by society and selling them a fantasy of being important, attractive, desirable, and good at violence. Forgive me, but I just don't fucking trust media that does that. It's what sets Itsukai apart from other power fantasies in anime. Not by merely suggesting, hey, what if you were powerful? No, it goes on to suggest, hey, what if the reason you're not powerful is because this world is beneath you? What if there were a better world that acknowledged your virility? And then it turned that into the cornerstone of the anime industry for a decade. Fuck that. At the risk of sounding like a demagogue, you deserve better than Isekai. It is anime at its least imaginative, and imagination is the greatest strength that anime has. The creative freedoms that are enjoyed within the sphere of weeb media really cannot exist anywhere else. Nowhere else do you find the same artistic lineage, the lineage that's allowed so many truly weird and ambitious shit to get made. To see such a Valium genre like this basically take over anime for as long as it has isn't just disappointing, it's downright tragic, especially when you think of what could have been in those dozen time slots every season instead. This is why I'm not just mad that a thing I don't like is popular, I'm furious at all the even half-decent anime that don't exist because of that popularity. And you could think that everything I've said up to now is utter horseshit, but fucking hell, man, would it have killed you if there were just a couple fewer isekais every season? Do you even watch all of them? Now that was good. Editing that is the first thing I've done for society since undergrad. And the lesson is simple. How many trucks does it take to kill a story? Just one.